The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. MLB show. Here are your hosts, the luckiest men on the face of the earth, Chase Fedorsky and Bryce Holden. Welcome to episode 90 of the Underdog Sports MLB show with Bryce Holden. My name is Chase Fedorsky. Happy Thanksgiving out there to all of our listeners uh, and happy December. By the time you're listening to this, it will be December 1st tomorrow. Um, I had- that's, how, that's that's I don't want to curse too early, but how fucked up is it that it's already December? Um, I'm going to be honest. I think it's – look, the time aspect of it is crazy. I think the weather has really mentally fucked with me. Like, Saturday I was out with buddies in Livingston, you know, wearing short sleeves and sweatpants, hitting baseballs, which just shouldn't be a thing at the end of November and December. Yeah, but it's so sick. No, it's it's awesome. I mean, the fact that we had multiple days in the 60s last week was incredible. It's just – you did. No, no, no. I'm going to stop you right there. That is not a we had. I was in Chicago. The fact that I had multiple 60-degree days the last week of November was pretty wild. It just further shows how little I know about climate change and global warming. Maybe I'll study it up a little bit. But you mentioned Chicago. How was it? It was fine. Just fine. I was, it's the, you know, I had to work. It was Thanksgiving. I can't, I can't say I, I really explored the city as much as I would have liked this trip. Uh, love a Chicago dog. Uh, they know what they're doing when it comes to hot dogs out there. Where'd you get it? Any specific store? Yeah, I went, uh, I went out to Evanston, and uh, there's Mustard's Last Stand. Okay. And it's just like, <laughs> it, it's like I was driving by, Hannah and I and my sister and I were driving back from Evanston to our apartment, and... I just saw this hole in the wall called Muster's Last Stand. And, and, and if you see something like that, you know it's good. So would you say you're the reason that Northwestern football is no longer undefeated because they had won every game when you hadn't been at Evanston? No, no, no. We, when we, we, Muster's Last Stand is right across the street from the stadium. And while we were eating our Chicago dogs, um, the Northwestern Wisconsin game was going on. Did you think that the Chicago dog was too much? I did not. I, it was really good, and I enjoyed it, but there were certain parts I had to, like, pick off and eat separately. Well, that, that's ridiculous. That's not what you – that is – well, I oh, – jeez, why? I mean, look, anyone who's seen me eat a sandwich knows I dissect it like a psychopath. Everyone's yeah. got some sociopathic tendencies. Sandwich eating is mine. I don't think I have any. I'll keep my mouth closed on that one for a later date. I mean, I guess I get a little wild on vacation every now and then. But you know what? You just do those for the stories. Nothing wrong with that. I, I No, I do it because it is hella fun, as Vacation Bryce would say. He's a big hella guy. There you go. Hella fun. Uh, not a ton of baseball news this week, so we're going to hit you with our full analysis of the Hall of Fame ballot. I did it with my dad a few weeks back, a brief look, but Bryce and I will dig a little bit deeper. We'll name our all MLB first and second team since that's going to be announced next week. And then we do have a little bit of news, but nothing major, but we will start with Yankee number 90. Um, So three players in baseball history have worn 90. And unsurprisingly, just because of how many numbers are retired in pinstripes, two of them were Yankees. So Bryce, I will give you your pick. Which Yankee number 90 do you prefer? Thiaro Estrada or Estevan Florial? Florial. Florial's done nothing at the big league level yet, though. Not that Estrada's done a ton, but. Yeah, but but I think there's trade value out of Florial stuff. You're taking the upside. I'm taking the let's see what we what Florial becomes. Yes. Um, oh. in, in other sports, the only prevalent sport with number 90s was football. Um, Jason Pierre-Paul, New York Giant. Now Buck was 90. Adamican Sir, Jadavion Clowney. But the one Dude, guy... I fucking hate Jadavion Clowney. He is the most... I, I, I can't stand him. I think he's my least favorite player in the league. The one guy who I want to highlight, though, 
Um, and you could tell me if I'm crazy for this. Um, this guy, in my opinion, might be the most under-the-radar slam-dunk first ballot Hall of Famer in football. He wore number 90, and that's Julius Peppers. You ever look at Julius Peppers' career numbers? I mean, he was a, an all-pro defensive end for over a decade. Only made three all-pro teams, actually. Nine-time Pro Bowler, though, on the 2010s all-decade team and the 2000s. Uh, so There you go. So what he, there it is, over a decade. He was on both all-decade teams. But when you think of Julius Peppers, do you think of a guy who's 160 sacks or top five all-time? Um, I don't. I don't spend a lot of time thinking of that Julius Peppers because I'm so angry with Jadavian Clowney. Reasonable enough. Have you ever watched a any game that Clowney's participated in in the NFL? Um, I've watched a handful. He doesn't. He makes maybe one play a game. He's probably of the last decade the most frustrating tape to play guy in the NFL. I would say. I mean, it, Does that makes sense. You know what I mean? I mean, like are the you, physical I, tools I, are all there. He should be so good. Is your point my point, which is there, that play he made against, in the Outback Bowl against Michigan when he was still in South Carolina, you're expecting that type of play from him every snap, and you're lucky to get it once a game. He's been a solid NFL defensive end. But, like, you look at other guys who have gone one at the defensive end position, like Mario Williams, I think, was way better. Julius Peppers went two. Miles Garrett went one. He's an animal when he's not swinging helmets to people. I mean, just think about, like, recent recent defensive ends that have gone out. The Bosa brothers were both top five picks. Yeah. No, he's certainly at the bottom of the list. I mean, who is he better than? JPP, also number 90? I would take JPP's overall body of work to Clownies for sure. I, I, I don't even think it's an argument. I mean, JPP, post-accident you know accident where he almost blew his hand off, he's been a very good player for the Bucks. He's, he's good. JPP can play. Better than Clowney. All right, we could get stuck on Clowney all day, but we're going to move to Cooperstown, the 2021 Hall of Fame ballot. Uh, so we're going to break this down into tiers, uh, and we will start with the first-timers. So – Let's, with, let's go with the guys that I think there's no conversation about but had good careers, and that would be – all the first-timers. No, there's three guys that I think are worth at least talking about, but we'll not get in. I preface with that. Um, so credit to Dan Heron, who I had the pleasure of meeting, great guy, uh, country singer Barry Zito, Aramis Ramirez, the flying Hawaiian Shane Victorino, uh, two Yankees, A.G. Burnett and Nick Swisher on the ballot. Uh, LaTroy Hawkins had to have played with the Yankees at some point, wouldn't you think? I don't think so. Let's give a quick click on the baseball reference. I'm on it. I am on it. He did. He played. He pitched in 33 games for the Yankees in the largely forgotten 2008 season. Shut it down. Um, And Michael Kadire's on the bat, former batting champ. Always liked him with the Twins. Um, And him him more knowing Mauer, just as a quick sidebar. Very good 2-3-4 for a nice stretch there in the 2000s. They also had Torrey Hunter on that team. So Torrey Hunter is going to be one of the three guys I want to talk about. Yeah, he should be. Um, the first, so we'll go right into Torrey Hunter. Um, he's going to be a guy that I think gets bounced off the ballot in one year. Uh, and to me, that's – you, 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 I'm, I'm reading over the notes. You misspelled Torrey Hunter. He has two eyes in his first name. Um, I'm upset that Google, Google didn't correct me. Now, Torrey Hunter, all-time – first, when I think Torrey Hunter, I think all-time great guy. That's what I was going to say. Captain of the good guy team, for sure. Him and Curtis Granderson are the captains. And Torrey Hunter's also probably on the all-defense team. So that's what I was going to say. I mean, I'm going to actually compare his case um, to Bernie Williams and Kenny Lofton, two guys who I don't think will get in, although Lofton I think is worth a longer look than these two. Um, But you look at Torrey Hunter's career, 353 homers, had over 2,400 hits, almost 1,400 RBIs, even stole close to 200 bags, and nine gold gloves. I mean, look, that's not a guy who's a Hall of Fame, but there's no way, especially in the age of sabermetrics, that this guy should be just thrown into the trash on the Hall of Fame ballot after one year. I mean, Troy Hunter is your classic. Um, He's not Hall of Fame. He's probably not Hall of Very Good, but he's top of the list of Hall of Good. I buy that. So the next guy I want to – he just didn't have enough at the plate. Like he, one, I, I, 
his the most defining moment of Torrey Hunter's career happened in an All-Star game. And other than that, I can't really think of anything that Torrey Hunter did on To me, my lasting memory of Torrey Hunter isn't even something he did for a positive. I think of him falling into the Fenway Park stands uh, when David Ortiz hit the Grand Slam in the ALCS. Okay, so this is why he's not a Hall of Famer. So the next guy I want to talk about um, – Because on that plaque, it can't say Rod Barry Bonds of a home run in an All-Star game and flipped into the bullpen missing a home run. Next guy I want to talk about, uh, one of two pitchers – uh, another guy, Hall of Very Good, but you look at Tim Hudson's numbers compared to some guys who are in Cooperstown, and I think he's worth a longer look. Uh, his 57.9 war right on the cusp of starting pitchers. Uh, during his career, I believe he had the most wins of any pitcher in baseball, or it was top five wins of any pitcher in baseball. 222 wins, won a ring, 349 ERA. Um, and I just think of Tim Hudson, I think of a guy who was always in the playoffs, too, for what it's worth. Yeah, but I think of Tim Hudson more as like a like Charlie Morton. Like, oh, like that that's a nice piece. Like that's a like if, if you're rolling out with Hudson as your three starter, that's great. But if you want Hudson to be your, your one or even your two, you're probably not winning the World Series. No, I I think that's also an apt comparison. And the last guy I'm gonna talk about is a guy who I've already heard that some people are gonna vote for. Um, and that's Mark Burley. And I wanted to get your take just on the fact that it seems like Burley's getting some consideration so far. I, I, I think he benefits a lot from a thin ballot this year. Perfect game, perfect game, no hitter, 214 wins, 59.1 war. I mean, to me, if you're going to – Gold gloves. Gold gloves. I think one play got him the gold glove in back-to-back season. Four gold gloves, five all-stars, won that ring with the White Sox. I, I don't consider Burley a Hall of Famer. Uh, he was very – to me, the thing with Mark Burley, he was very good for a long time, but there was never a year where I was like, oh, my God, this team has Mark Burley. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get, I'd say his case is stronger than that of Hudson. But that's more to do with I mean, what you said. Like Burley, has, Burley really checks a lot of boxes with the Hall of Fame in my book. All-stars, perfect game, no-hitter, gold glove, ace of a World Series team. I mean, Burley's career is great, and he should uh, got nothing to be ashamed of. But uh, you won't get the Coopers out. And I think uh, I I look at Burley honestly through the same lens that I looked at Paul Konerko last year. Yeah, there's a reason that White Sox team ended up getting a World Series. I mean, those two guys are are pretty good and cornerstone guys for that franchise. But uh, you know, they just didn't have it. They they're, they're not Hall of Famers. It's okay. Not everyone is. It's, there's a reason that it is supposed to be for the best of the very best. Uh, so now we'll break it down based on years appeared on the ballot. So you have four guys in their ninth year on the ballot. Uh, I'll start with Sammy Sosa, who last year got 13.9% of the vote. Uh, Sosa was a guy who I once upon a time would say no on, but I would vote for Sosa this year. I just think when it comes down to it, if I'm going to vote for Bonds and I'm going to vote for Clemens, I think I got to vote yes on Sosa. Yeah, that's the thing with Sosa. It's Does he have the Hall of Fame numbers? No shit. He clearly does. He was – I mean, there was a 30 for 30 on him, which is cool. But he, he cheated. And I've, I say let them all in. But I, I just think these guys, if they never concrete, concretely fail the drug test – you got to vote him in. So you're in on Sosa, out on Cano. Correct. And I'm out on Manny for the same reason. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm more – we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that when we get to Manny's. But I, I'd let Sosa in. I mean, I just I, – I, I'm not going to – Sosa got caught with a corked bat once. That's that true. Guy, but that, yeah. that's not enough to keep you out of the hall. I just think given – I know it was PEDs, but him and McGuire saved the game of baseball in 98. Um, and, I mean, if you want to talk about – Yeah, a, how can you have a Hall of Fame without those two? Without those two? I, I just think you want to talk about a peak. I mean, Sammy Sosa from 95 to 2004, his 10-year peak, averaged 48 homers and 123 ribbies a year. Averaged. Nah, I mean, he was the best. I mean, you can make uh, – this will be my last point on Sosa – I think you can make a very legitimate case that 
Sammy Sosa, 98 to 2001, had the best four-year stretch of any player in baseball history. Off I end. guess off the top of my head, I'd go Bonds 01 to 04. Yeah, certainly more rounded, but from a pure power production, Sosa from 98 to 01 averaged 61 homers and 149 ribbies a year, hit 310, and had a 168 OPA plus, OPS plus. Now that right there, that is a Hall of Fame slash line. It's unbelievable. I mean, Bonds and Clemens, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on. I, to me, uh, the PEDs aside, even if you took Bonds and Clemens the first 10 years of their career when people thought they weren't on PEDs, they're still Hall of Famers. Clemens is still a three-time Cy Young winner. Bonds has still got 400 homers, 400 steals, all the gold gloves, all, three of the MVPs. Vote him in already. It's time. I, I agree with that. I, um, I think they're still too far. I don't think they're going to make that jump this year. Yeah, I think it's going to come down to the last year on the ballot. It's going to come down to if enough people on their last leg of eligibility say, yeah, these two need to be in all. So Bonds was a 60.7% last year. Clemens was a 61. And the guy who I think is most likely to get on the ballot, uh, Kurt Schilling was at 70% last year. I mean, again. Case, I, I believe that's president-elect Kurt Schilling. <laughs> I mean, again, if it was just on numbers, to me, he's the first ballot Hall of Famer on the short list of guys I'd want pitching a big game. Uh, we were in an election year, though, and Schilling has still spoken his mind. Um, but given that it's not a super deep ballot this year, do you think Kurt gets enough votes to cross the 75% threshold? It, yeah, because he's close. And it is a thin ballot. But uh, he pisses off a lot of writers. He pisses off a lot of people. He probably angers more people than the steroid guys. I mean, he has to. Because there was nothing during his career that would have indicated he's not a Hall of Famer. It's strictly what he said and done afterwards. Yeah, I, I think Schilling has to get in for the uh, integrity of the Hall. All right, fifth to eight years in the ballot. I've grouped this together. Um, Jeff Kent, his eighth year on the ballot, 27.5%. I, I think Kent uh, – you go through these guys, but I'm going to go on a Kent. You could go on a Kent tangent because I've made my opinions pretty clear on Kent in the past. No, I, I think Kent should be in the Hall of Fame for what he is at that position. He is a Hall of Fame second baseman, no doubt. I, I just, to me, if you can make an argument that a guy is a top three offensive player ever at a position, I don't know how he's in the Hall of Fame. And everybody talks about his defense, this and that. Um, but at the end of the day, he played 2,300 games in his career, and every single one of them was for National League teams, which means up until the age of 40, when he played 121 games a second for the Dodgers, teams thought his defense was good enough to have him at second. I mean, the, the knock on Kent is he is a notorious asshole. He I is know. like – I, like, I, I, I like, just – You can tell – it's not reporting firsthand, but – I think the media was getting on Bonds one day, and Bonds looked at him and said, you think I'm a jerk? Talk to that guy. When you look at the numbers, though, MVP at second base, which doesn't happen a lot. and MVP on a Bonds team. Bonds was on that team. And Kent won the MVP. And I, just 2,400 hits, 377 homers, and over 1,500 ribbies as a second baseman and hit 290. I, I just don't get the lack of support. But, yeah, it's like you said. It's because part of this is it's a popularity contest which I think then goes into this next guy, Gary Sheffield. Uh, I know, again, there's the PED rumors, but – We confirmed those on the show. I, to me, I, I still vote yes on Sheffield. Uh, the guy was such a good hitter for so long. You look at his numbers compared to Vlad's, I would take Sheffield's body of work over Vlad's. Vlad got in overwhelmingly on the second ballot. I get it, but I vote yes on Sheff. Sheffield was definitely – in my time as a Yankee fan, Sheffield's on the short list for most fun players that we've had. I, Absolutely. And one of the most entertaining batting stances in baseball history, for what it's worth. Yeah. I mean, he's a guy – I think he suffers from having played on a lot of teams. And you can't really – there's no real fan base that's going to rally behind Sheff as their guy. I, I couldn't even – who would it be for him? The Maybe Marlins? The, Maybe the Marlins just because he won a rank. I was thinking – but. Do they even have a fan base? Tough criticism, but a warranted one. Tough but fair. Tough but fair. Tough but fair. Anyway, 
Um, I don't think he gets in because the PED rumors are pretty, pretty, uh, pretty uh, undeniable. Uh, and I've confirmed him through his uncle, Doc Gooden, which is always a fun fact about Gary Sheffield. I mean, this next guy, I know it's one you and I differ. Uh, we'll see when we vote our 10, if you would have him this year. Billy Wagner, sixth year on the ballot, 31.7%. I, I vote yes. on. I think if Trevor Hoffman is in with slightly more saves, Wagner was just such an objectively more dominant pitcher. Um, I would have to vote yes on Wagner. And I think you can make a case he's one of the 10 best relief pitchers in baseball history. Yeah, but the bar for relief pitcher is so high. And I, for me, doesn't get it. Right. And then the, the last guy in this range, Manny, on his fifth ballot, 28.2%. We talked about it with Cano last week. I, he failed the drug test. It's a no for me, but goddamn, was he fun to watch. I love Manny. Yes for me. All right. Then the second through fourth year guys, uh, we'll start at the bottom. Second year on the ballot, Bobby Abreu. He had 5.5% last year. A lot of people try to make these crazy cases for him. I, Bobby Abreu, his whole career was during our lifetime. I like him. Not a Hall of Famer in my book. Yeah, he's a Hall of Good. He's a maybe low and very good, especially with sabermetrics. Nerds love Bobby Abreu. Yes. The next guy, 11.3% last year. You know, um, do you remember when the Yankees had that show, Yankees Ultimate Road Trip? Where uh-huh. they, Ball Vinny. Yeah, when we um, – when we used to have ticket, we used to have the Sunday package, and one season we sat the row in front of those guys, and that uh, and that is where I heard the breaking news when the Yankees uh, acquired Bobby Abreu. They had it first. Nice, Abreu. Abreu was a good hitter for the Yankees. Another Yankee, second year on the ballot. Um, Bobby Abreu, home run derby champ. Very true. And this guy is going to be, I think, an interesting case for your years to come. Eleven point three percent last year, and that is Andy Pettit. I think Andy Pettit gets my vote as a Yankee fan, but I see why he will not get in, especially with a PED. I vote no on Pettit this year, um, but I think next year it could change my mind. It really all depends to me on how you hold the PEDs, uh, how you hold them accountable for that. But if Jack Morris is in the Hall of Fame, Andy Pettit better be. Uh, and I think to me that's a very but, apples comparison. Yeah, but the comparison's fine, but Morris has no PED rumor. No, I think it depends on how much you hold him accountable for the PED thing. Well, I would hold him accountable because he took PEDs. I agree. I, I don't know. It's, it's weird when it's guys who admitted it versus guys who failed the test. I don't know. Uh, Pettit's not on my ballot this year, but I love Andy Pettit. Uh, I don't think I'm going to have a full 10 on the ballot, but, but P- Pettit's in that – Pettit's not a, a lock for me, but I, I think he gets one of the time. These next three guys who are all – two of them are on their fourth year in the ballot. Um, I know you're a no on Scott Rowland, but I think he's on his way to being the next Edgar Martinez. Fourth year on the ballot, 35.3% last year. Uh, a guy who I will admit, when I watched him, I never thought Scott Rowland Hall of Famer. Uh, but when you look at him, similar to Jeff Kent, and compare him to other third basemen, I think he gets the nod in that regard. Yeah, I, he um, – maybe I just missed his prime. But, but he, I never thought Scott Rowland Hall of Fame. Yeah, no, I mean, look, he's certainly – the sabermetric community has taken off his cause. The 70 war is a Hall of Famer, had almost 2,100 hits, 300-plus homers, 281 hitter, won a ring, uh, seven All-Stars, eight gold gloves, rookie of the year, a silver slugger. Is he on the top of my list? No. Um, and he's actually would be lower on the list than the next two guys who we're going to talk about. But Scott Rowland would get my vote. For now, at least. Let's just get the Andre Jones thing. Because I love Andre Jones. So somebody who I missed when writing this out, I realized. Um, but how do you feel about Omar Vizquel? Yeah, that's a um, – I don't – I don't I'm love a no him. on Omar at this point. I'm a no, but I, I think he's trending towards getting in one day. I'm a no on Omar and a yes on Roland and this next guy, Andrew Jones, because uh, Roland, eight-time goal. I just don't think Vizquel could hit well enough, but uh, he stuck around long. He stuck around. He just kind of compiled stats. Never Correct. Was. And even then, they weren't that great. Um, Andrew Jones, to me, if you're going to elect Omar Vizquel, you better fucking elect Andrew Jones. Ten-time gold glove winner uh, to go along with a 
World Series appearance with the Braves was a huge part of that whole run. But to me, 10 gold gloves, 430. Two World Series appearances. Two World Series appearances. Two World Series appearances. To me, though, 10 gold gloves and 434 homers. Uh, you can stop looking at everything at that point because, to me, you're a Hall of Famer. Yeah, it, it, and he was a core piece of a 10-year a 10-year stretch of excellence from his team. He, he was, that, that team made the playoffs every year from 96 to, I want to say 04 is when they won the last division title. I think it was going back even further. I think they won every division title from like 92 to 04. Yeah, but, he, uh, to 05. but Jones didn't come up till 96. Correct. The, no, the one knock on Jones is he was effectively done as an everyday big leaguer at 30. Yeah, but he came up at 18. Yeah, came up as 19, 1996, was a big part of that World Series run. And, again, I get if you vote no on Andrew Jones, but I just think if there's going to be support for Omar and Roland, you got to extend the same support for Andrew Jones. No PEDs ever associated with Andrew Jones. And the no PEDs is a great transition for me. Um, you mentioned that a big knock on Sheffield is that he doesn't have a fan base behind him, but this next guy does. I know Coors Field is what it was, but – I just don't understand how you can look at Todd Helton's overall body of work and not vote for this guy. I mean, he gets – he has – Colorado gets held against him pretty strongly. It's just – Colorado, I get it. But at the end of the day, Colorado doesn't turn you into career 316, 414, 539 hitter. Yeah, but he doesn't have thousand hits. He doesn't have 400 homers. I mean, you can make the case for him. It's not that hard. Uh, and maybe I'll be swung on him down the line, but at, at, for now, not not for me. So my 10-person ballot this year. And uh, boys with Peyton Manning. Yeah, Peyton Manning was his backup at Tennessee. Wasn't so, he Peyton Manning's backup? No, I think Helton start because Helton was older. Ooh. So my ballot, I'm a big fan of using all 10 spots when possible, but I also do think all 10 of these guys are Hall of Famers at varying levels. Uh, Mine: Schilling, Clemens, Bonds, Jeff Kent, Gary Sheffield, Billy Wagner, Scott Rowland, Todd Helton, Todd Helton, Andrew Jones, and Sammy Sosa, and that was in no particular order. I'll go alphabetically on mine. Oh shit! I had it. I had it written out, and I lost it. So I'm just gonna read it the way I see it: Bonds, Clemens, Andrew, Kent, Pettit. I gave the nod. Manny, Schilling. Just I mean, Schilling's a Hall of Famer. Sheffield, Sosa. A lot of overlap. I mean, it's not that hard. There should be a lot of overlap. A lot of overlap. To me, with the 10 spots, if there's guys that you're on the fence about, I give them yes until there's not room for them. I mean, the guys I can – I think Helton would take the 10th spot if I, if I were to extend out to 10. Yay, Todd Helton. But, you know, not, not this year. Maybe – Maybe uh, those Rockies fans will sway me in the future. They got they swayed a lot of people with Larry Walker, so it's it's a definite possibility. Uh, Hall of Fame honors the body of work for a career. Now we're going to get into our all MLB teams for this season. First and second team. Um, this is a fairly new thing baseball's done. It's only the second year, but it's something that I think is pretty cool. I, I never really understood why they didn't do it because All Star games in the middle of the year. You know, you have guys like Brian LaHare who can have a fluke two months this honors a guy for their full body work i mean you also have guys like kirk gibson who didn't make the all-star team one year but won the mvp it's a perfect perfect example uh so we'll jump right into it uh who was your first and second team catcher this year i only had a first team catcher that's okay who was it salvi i think uh salvi press came back and was looking good you and i were on the same page came back from that torn acl uh, and, and really under the radar, had not just a good year for a catcher, but just a great year, period. 11 homers, 32 ribbies, 986 OPS, hit 333. Good to see him back. I think he won the gold glove again. Uh, and in the second slot, uh, I had Travis Darnode. Um, just to give the final stamp on a fuck you to the Mets. Uh, as an honorable mention, I'll go every catcher that isn't Gary Sanchez. Couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, first base, which MVP did you have on the first team and which did you have on the second team? I went Jose on the first team. Um, I, I think the power numbers just kind of 
were the the big standout over he had over Freeman. But you can't really go wrong with either of those. It's, it'll be interesting to see who ends up getting those. I was about to say the same thing. I went Freddie over Brayu, but I can't really be angry one way or the other. Yeah. Uh, second base, somewhere to catcher. This I think was... this is where Luke Voigt gets a shout out. This is where the Yankee deserves a shout out. Hundred percent. Led the league at homers. Deserves a shout out. Yes. He would be my third team if there was such a thing. There is in the NBA. But the way the NBA, the all NBA teams mean a whole lot in that league. So this hopefully there, there's also the contract tie-ins. Yeah. So hopefully, I mean, baseball wouldn't do that with contracts because it's uncapped. But this this is good. This is good uh, for history. So second base, we both had DJ on the first team. I'm assuming, but who did you have on the second team? Wanted to give it to Cano, just as one last hurrah. So I will. You had a good year. The what could be the final positive note for Robbie Cano. Um, I went with, I'd have another positive test in the future. It's true. I went with Brandon Lau, 14 homers, hit 270, 916 OPS, 152 OPS plus, anchor for that Rays lineup all year. But can't go wrong with Robbie Cano there for sure. Uh, moving to shortstop, this was one of the hardest positions for me to pick. Uh, who was your first team? First team, I, I think this this award is supposed to. It's supposed to be who had the best, who really like represented the season. And Fernando Tatis was probably the best player, in, the most exciting player in baseball this year, for sure. I originally, when I made this, did not have Tatis first. I had my second guy first, but I ended up going and agreeing with you. Who'd you have on your second team? Because there's probably three or four guys you can make a very compelling case for. I went Tim Anderson. Yeah, I think Tim Anderson you could have gone with. You could have gone with Corey Seager, for sure. Um, I ended up going with Trey Turner. 12 homers, hit 335, 12 steals. Uh, and I feel like the whole month of September, you just couldn't get him out. Uh, really rebounded from some injuries well that he's had in the past. But, I mean, again, based on your criteria of the narrative, yes, Tim Anderson 100% fits there. Yeah. Uh, again, good seasons in uh, San Diego and Chicago. So sticking in San Diego, which MVP finalist did you have first and which did you have second at third base? Machado won, Jose two. I went Jose one Machado two, but I feel the same way I feel about the first baseman. You really couldn't go wrong either way. Yeah, that's another one. I guess first and third are the two positions to keep an eye on. So outfield. So I think the first team outfielders, there's going to be some consensus between us. I had Mookie, Trout, and Juan Soto. Yeah, Soto, Soto despite starting on the COVID list, had an incredible event in the season. I mean, that's my guy. I'm going to pick him to win the MVP until he wins one. Yeah, but you're going to have to run up against my guy for the next decade. I'm giving up on Jack Flaherty next year. You can say it now. When we do the picks for the awards next year, if I say Jack Flaherty, you have permission to spin in my face. Chase, you're going to pick Jack Flaherty again. Nope. You are an addict. addict. I'm already changing my tune. We're picking somebody else, and it's going to be Corbin Burns. Oh, my God. There's always room on the Corbin Burns. Who was your second team outfield, though? I think one is obvious, and it might be the guy who you're talking about going up against. But I'm intrigued to hear who your other two were. So we both had Acuna, I'm assuming, right? Yep. All right, and who were your two and three? You got to give me a minute. I did not fill out a second team. So my second team for this, um, and you can just – I'm looking at your notes, and I think you got – I think Yaz is, is a is a no-doubt second team. Yeah, Mike Yastrzemski, I mean, was the Giants' best hitter the whole year. Kind of came out of nowhere. Um, Ten homers, 297, 968 OPS. You know, was really in it the whole year. Third spot, I think you can make a case for Charlie Blackman, a couple other guys. Um, I went with Eloy Jimenez, big part of the White Sox in his second year. 14 homers, 296, 891 OPS. Uh, and won his first silver slug. Yeah, I like the Eloy pick. Blackman, there was a time we weren't just talking about him hitting 400. There was a time we were talking about him hitting 500. And the then shortest. he dropped, then he came crashing down to earth. Yeah. Um, but I, I also think this award should go to, a, I, I try and give playoff guys, especially when they expand it to eight, the nod here. So the Eloy pick, that works for me. All right. Starting pitchers. Um, I think four out of the five on the first team we're going to agree with, Bieber, Bauer, Darvish, DeGrom. Yep. And number five I think is a toss-up. I went with Max Free just because the Braves were a top-four team in baseball, and he was their only healthy pitcher the whole year and was great. Um, but I'm open to other suggestions. 
You know, I mean, Corbin Burns would have won the Cy Young had it not been a uh, uh, Corbin Burns could have won the Cy Young if he didn't get hurt down the stretch. Corbin Burns is number one on my second team. Um, there's a guy like Ryu up in Toronto. I think I'd probably go Ryu up in Toronto. It's funny. I didn't have Ryu on either of my teams. I just I, I get the narrative was helping him. I just look at the numbers and I think he was good this year, not unbelievable. I mean, if you're not going Ryu, then you might as well go uh, go the put King Clayton on the first team. So King Clayton is on my second team. Uh, my second team was Corbin Burns, Keiko, Kenta Maeda, Kershaw, and Denelson Lament. Yeah, I'd probably put uh, I'd probably put Cole on there over Lament, even though he, he didn't do. I mean, he's on the second all team. He had that kind of year. I just think when it comes down to it, and we talked about it in the Cy Young, Cole at the end of the year the numbers were great, but there was like a two week stretch where he just couldn't get hitters out. Yeah, but when he's on, and which he was, he had moments when he was on. We saw it in the playoffs. No one would rather have with the ball. That's an all MLB pitcher. Relief pitchers, it was two for the first team, two for the second team. Uh, first team, I went with the reliever of the years in each league, Devin Williams, Liam Hendricks. Any surprises there? No, that, that, that's right. And then the second team, uh, postseason nonwithstanding, Nick Anderson was a stud this year, uh, and I went for Trevor Rosenthal, who dominated in both leagues. Yeah, no arguments here. Okay. Those are all MLB teams. We will see when the awards are announced next week, how close we got. It'll be interesting. But I think for some of these, it was pretty cut and dry. Some of the second teams will be interesting. But the first teams, I think, there's really only a handful of guys who could have gotten the awards, which either means the superstars are kicking ass or other people need to step up, depending on how you would look at it. Uh, Switching to the hot stove, Um, And again, it's crazy that this is like the breaking news that we're reporting, but it's been a very slow free agent market so far. Um, But the Royals agreed to a two-year deal uh, with Mike Miner. MLB trade rumors predicted that he was only going to get a one-year $6 million contract this year. And he's the first free agent this offseason to sign a multi-year contract. It's the second time he's in a Kansas City uniform. He pitched for the team in 2017, was on the roster for all of 2016, but he was recovering from shoulder surgery, so didn't make any starts. Uh, 2017, out of the bullpen, 2.55 ERA, 4K to walk ratio, and 10.2 Ks per nine, over 77 and two-thirds innings out of the Royals' pen. From there, he signed a three-year, $28 million deal with the Rangers uh, and was very solid from 2018 to 19, 3.84 ERA, over 365 and a third innings, finished ninth in the Cy Young Award voting in 2019. Last year, not great, 5.56 ERA uh, and only 9.8 Ks per nine, but the velocity was still there. Home run rate was elevated a little bit, but it seems like the underlying peripherals are still going to be there. Look, this is not a signing that's going to jump off the page, but, you know, for a young, hungry team like the Royals, I think this is the these are the moves you got to make. You just bring in solid veterans who aren't going to clog the payroll. Uh, I'm sure you don't have a lot to add, but any thoughts on Mike Miner going back to Kansas City? That's uh, I mean, that in a full season from Solaire might get them to 70 wins. Well, you know, and, and Salvador Perez, we're giving the Royals a lot of love here. Salvador Perez. I guess Witt also, I, maybe Witt over Cano for second team. We love Witt. Well, the problem with Witt is he just he plays all over. Yeah, but he's a second baseman at heart. Looks and plays like a second baseman, 100%. Um, And this is actually a good transition to my next point, which is a shakeup of the minor leagues because a guy like Whit Merrifield came up late. um, And the way the draft and the minors are structured now, they're getting rid of minor league affiliates. The draft is being shortened, uh, at least for this year, one more time in terms of the rounds. Um, And the MLB announced today that the prep uh, baseball league and the five – or sorry, the MLB draft league is now formed with the five founding members – Um, joining together to form will essentially be a showcase for MLB prospects. The MLB draft this year is being moved to July and being held as part of the All-Star Week. Uh, So draft eligible players will now have a unique opportunity to showcase their abilities and gain exposure to MLB clubs and fans next summer. Um, And basically a lot of this is MLB doing a PR check uh, to keep minor league teams in Ohio, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and New Jersey afloat. Uh, The founding members are the Mahoning Valley Scrappers, the State College Spikes, the Trenton 
Washington Thunder, the West Virginia Black Bears, and the Williamsport Crosscutters. Uh, a six-team will be announced shortly, and plans will include a 68-game regular season with an annual All-Star break centered around the MLB draft. MLB draft participants will receive unprecedented visibility of the MLB club scouts through in-person observation and state-of-the-art scouting technology with educational programming designed to prepare them for careers as pro athletes. Uh, and the league will provide support for the league staffing, players, and coach recruitment, on-field operations, and administrative functions. Uh, so here's my question for this. And, and again, I know more information is going to come out. Um, but my first question is, do you think this means the Cape Cod League, as we know it, is done? And what, what does that mean, as we know it? What do you know of the Cape Cod League? I know the Cape Cod League. It's where top prospects go to play over the summer. And it's because the draft has traditionally been in May. And it seems like this is telling the Cape Cod League to go shove it. You just think of that uh, Jessica Biel movie? Love that movie, Summer Catch. But no, that's not what I'm thinking. There's a lot of guys who have made names for themselves in the Cape Cod League. I like Jessica Biel. Uh, my, my other question with this is, how do you think the MLB is going to handle this with the NCAA? Uh, to me, the biggest question here is, how does this affect a Fun player? fact about Jessica Biel. Can't wait she to hear it. Uh, she has a pelvic tattoo that I've seen on not one, but duh, of my uh, former lovers. Okay, moving along now. Um, how do you think if you're the MLB? Jessica Biel is not one of the duh. How do you position this with the NCAA where guys can be a part of this but not risk their eligibility, uh, similar to like the NBA combine where players could then put their names back in the hat or back in the ring to go back to college? I, I will be honest with you, Jason. I, I am thinking of Jessica Biel. It's a tough, tough person to get off their mind. Um, <laughs> so, I don't know. I, I, did not, I did not hear a word of that question. I could take it from here on this one. I, to me, this is a big PR thing for the league. You have teams like the Trenton Thunder who are displaced that have had long minor league fan bases. It's great that they're going to be engaged with Major League Baseball. I, I just think, to me, I don't know how you could have this while keeping allowing college kids to maintain their eligibility. There's a lot of questions here. I think it's a good idea in theory, but I want more information to come out. Um, but again, it's good that you have the NBA combine, you have the NFL combine. It's nice to see that the MLB is taking some steps to do this. Uh, hopefully they have a very good COVID protocol as well, because otherwise that's one more thing to worry about for the league. Uh, the other thing that I want to ask you about is the Pioneer League. Um, again, that was formerly a minor league affiliate. Now it's a partner league of the MLB and it's independent. Uh, some of those teams are in Idaho, Montana, Utah, and Colorado, and all eight members, including the Billings Mustangs, the Grand Junction Rockies, Great Falls Voyagers, Idaho Falls Chuckers, the Missoula Paddleheads, the Ogden Rappers, the Northern Colorado Owls, and the Rocky Mountain Vibes. Uh, again, they're now all going to be independent league teams. If you are one of those owners, what do you make of this? Because it's like on one end, the MLB is supporting you, but on the other end, they're saying you have to be an independent league team where you know you're going to have way less support and financial resources than you did before. I would say for any of those, out in, uh, for all those Grand Junction Rockies fans, uh, tune in to KTTC News 12 and uh, check out my boy uh, Simon Lair. He's your new anchor down there. That was the perfect answer, and we'll move along on that note. Uh, going back to the hot stove real quick, uh, a person familiar with the Phillies finances said the team lost $145 million during the pandemic shortened 2020 season. Uh, and that Phillies owner, John Middleton told his front office, the franchise doesn't have enough money to maintain JT Real Muto. Um, so let's start with the first question here is um, $145 million loss. Uh, if the Phillies don't maintain, don't retain JT Real Muto, where do you see him go? Yeah, that's kind of a crazy story. The uh, that Real Muto nonsense. Um, look, I, I, I still think the Phillies have to pony up and pay this guy. But if it's not him, it, it looks like it's going to be the Mets. I've heard the Mets are more in on James McCann than Real Muto, but I, I agree. I think the Mets are the favorite. Uh, and one team that I would say you can't count out because they love to spend money and sign all-stars, fuck it. I'll just say he's going to go play with Pujols and Trout in Anaheim. So far, their strategy of going all in on the bats and no pitching hasn't worked. But, hey, maybe an all-star catcher is finally what puts them over the edge. Any thoughts there? I still think their main issue is pitching. Oh, it's been for a decade. 
It's been for a decade. It'll be interesting to see what they do. Um, but my second question with this is if Real Muto goes and the Phillies are not active at all this offseason, um, how long do you think it is until we see a very unhappy Bryce Harper start to maybe murmur a That's little bit? I, I projected that months ago if they lose Real Muto, that you'd get an NBA-style meltdown out of Bryce Harper. And I, I don't think he'd be wrong to do it. Just you see the way athletes in other sports are treated. Uh, Harper, for whatever shortcomings he has as a player, he more than makes up for it as a star for the sport. He is the star for the sport. And you got to keep him happy. Or he will. So, in short, no Real Muto. Expect a Harper trade request pretty shortly. I also think for Harper, you also look at the guy who you came in with in free agency. Uh, in the same class, Manny Machado, the other $300 million man, he signed with the Padres, and they have upgraded the roster around him. They traded I don't for- think Harper compares himself to Machado. He compares himself to Trout. Rightfully or wrongfully, he compares himself to Trout. I think that's a good look at his mindset. But what I mean is just from the outside looking in, other guys who have gotten the big free agents, they then proceeded to upgrade the talent around him. Uh, the Phillies went and signed Zach Wheeler, who's good, but they haven't really gone all in, I would say, on building a team around Harper. I mean, and don't forget, Harper left a team that won the World Series that next year. You don't think that eats at him daily? Or the fact that, I mean, could you imagine no knock on Reese Hoskins, no knock on Real Muto, even when he's healthy, but if Harper really wanted to be in the best situation to succeed offensively, it would have been re-signing with Washington for less money and hitting behind Juan Soto for the next decade. And in front of Rendon for another year. For another year, yeah. You're right. It's food for thought. It it could be really interesting in Philadelphia that John Middleton, uh, one year in 2019, said we're going to spend stupid money this offseason to now is saying we are stupid and we're going to spend no money. Uh, Food for thought there. Uh, Switching around to a somewhat legal matter uh, that ended up being not okay, but there was no legal matters, no legal Charges pressed against this guy. Um, but Randy Arozarena um, will, I think, be looking at some kind of a suspension coming into next season. But I'll explain the situation and then get your thoughts. Uh, so last week on the 24th, it was reported that he was under investigation from the Leeds Department of uh, Investigations uh, after two different Mexican media outlets uh, reported on an alleged incident uh, where the gist of it was he was alleged to have tried to take his daughter away from the child's mother after he arrived at the woman's house and was also reportedly involved in a physical alteration altercation with the woman's father. Uh, however, his agent then said that a Rosarina was never married to the woman. Um, and then they also reported that he was being held on charges of violence against a woman. Uh, the police at the time hadn't commented on the situation, um, but when push came to shove, he was released from detention. Him and his former partner uh, reached an agreement where she declined to pursue legal action. Um, there was not enough evidence for the outfielder to face charges in, to begin with, um, but the MLB and MLBPA domestic violence policy permits the league to levy discipline, even in the absence of criminal charges. Uh, what do you think? Do you think there's not enough information here for Rosarina to get a suspension? Uh, or do you think he's looking at maybe a smaller side suspension? They're going to have to, well, one, they have to wait. They can't rush to suspend him, but he's going to get something. And I mean, I don't think he gets like a half season for this. I think maybe like five, five games. More. If it's a domestic violence or anything along those lines. That the allegation, it'll be about 25 games. He's also, for better or worse, he is he is a star in the sport after what he did in October. Yeah. I think, if anything, that works against him because I think you need to prove a point that you hold superstars accountable. Yeah. So he'll get 25. Or maybe uh, 40 and reduced on repeal. Two pieces of hot stove rumors and a return. The first is which that is that George Springer – uh, has been rumored to be beyond just talking when it comes to a potential deal with the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, if you add Springer to a lineup with Bo Bichette, Vlad Jr., Caven Biggio, and Guriel Jr., um, I mean, where do they rank in the favorites of the American League at that point? He's an interest, well, it's always interesting to see people sign in Toronto. People don't usually do it. I feel like when Ryu signed, it was the first time a big free agent went to Toronto in a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it doesn't happen for 
I see everything about it seems like a great city, Toronto. But I like it a lot because if those young guys do reach their potential, and you have a veteran postseason winner like Springer in the middle of that order, it's a good fit. That um, I still think they're an arm away from being an AL favorite, but. That's what I was going to say. I think you spend the money on a pitcher. Um, but maybe this then sets them up to trade some of those other young bats to go get, whether it's a Blake Snell or I can't think Snell of any won't go in division. Can't think of any other arms offhand, but you see what I that mean. That could be available. Maybe Great. a Lance Lynn. Love Lance Lynn. Maybe Jack Flaherty if he has another down year. Oh, please, no Flaherty in the A. At least I can't root against him so many times a year. Yeah, but he would be an interesting fit for Toronto. Uh, and Yadier Molina had an interview Thursday that said there are several teams that have expressed interest in signing the catcher this offseason. Uh, the Padres and Angels amongst two of them. Uh, in addition to the Mets and the Yankees, he's looking for a two-year deal with a contending club and that he's not focused on the money aspect, but rather winning another championship before he retires. But he did mention that he would rather return to the Cardinals. Um, uh, to me, the Yankees, I think we bring back Sanchez for better or worse, but if the Mets – strike out on Real Muto and want to spend money elsewhere, I think he'd be a very good two-year option uh, given this pitching staff and his ability to handling the pitching staff, um, but also just a winning mentality, and he's a leader. Yeah. the I'm thinking the Yachty Hall of Fame case out. He'll probably, he'll probably get it. I would actually <laughs> – I would. It's. I, we. I think we talked about this, but when you compare him, Mauer, and Posey, um, I actually have Posey third on the list. Well, we're talking about Molina. No, I know. I'm sa- sorry. You're right. I. I would have Joe Mauer one, Yadi two, Posey three. I mean, Yadi was. Yadi was the most consistent of those three, and he was the best defender. And the and he's the and I guess Posey's a better one. But is Posey? I still. I. I, I just kind of associate Yadi with winning. You know, I mean, he only has one less ring than Posey. And he got them both pools. So we'll Maybe see. Maybe you should go to the Angels. We're just sending everyone to the Angels. Somebody's going to go to the Angels, and they're going to be good. So one guy who was at a baseball Blake life. Snell, of everyone that we've sent to the Angels, the Blake Snell one is my favorite. Well, because I think it's the most legitimate one to happen. That was the one that we totally made up, though. It's certainly the one that makes the most sense, but nothing makes sense in this world anymore. Uh, one guy, though, who was at Adam- No one else doesn't make sense in the world, and this, I was going to save this for closing thoughts of the week. Sure. But, um, God, Carson Wentz is fucking terrible. Terrible. I just peeked at the score, and uh, if you have any skill players on the Seahawks or the Eagles early, uh, you're bumming. And if you and if you have Carson Wentz as a as a fixture in your life, I usually don't feel bad for Eagles fans, but I'm starting to feel bad that they have to put up with Carson Wentz forever. Yeah, not not good at all. Um, but a guy who was very fun to watch and was out of baseball last year, but is looking to return this year is Yasiel Puig. Angels. <laughs> they have a pretty full outfield, no? There's always room for Puig. The favorites for Puig right now, on again, 2019, Puig hit 267, 327, 458, 24 homers, 19 steals. Had a deal with the Braves last year, but he tested positive for COVID-19, sat out the whole year. Um, he's already gaining interest from the Orioles. I think it would be a bad fit for the rebuilding team. Um, but here are two teams that I think could work, the first of which would be, what if Puig is rocking balls off the monster in Boston? I think he could become a Manny Light very quickly there. I think the Red Sox are another team very sneaky in on Springer. Don't be surprised if that happens. Oh, I don't think it'll be very sneaky. I think if they're willing to spend money, he makes a lot of sense there. Uh, and if they're not willing to spend money, Puig makes sense there. And the last team that has been connected. Red Sox fans would love Puig. The last team to be connected to Puig. How do you turn around everybody hating you if you're the Astros? You sign Puig, and he will make the team fun again. But also, if Michael Brandley leaves, it would be a solid fit in left field. I guess he would. But, yeah, I'm worried about our beloved Houston Astros. I know. It could be a long offseason for your boys. America's boys. Not my America. Um, 
I got two fun stories to, to tell you here, and you tell me which one uh, you think is crazier. The first one is which um, Steve Cohen, of all the things he's done to endear himself to Met fans, might be this might be near the top of the list. He went on an interview and confirmed a longstanding rumor that he is the owner of the Bill Buckner ball that he let go through his legs. Mookie Betts, game six of the 86 World Series, gets by Buckner, one of the most famous plays in baseball history. Uh, and that ball was previously owned by Charlie Sheen, for what it's worth. Um, so that was a crazy story. But that Charlie Sheen, Steve Cohen hanging out, that, that, that is not one that I uh... – I mean, you want, what do we start the show with? Psychopathic tendencies? That's a hanging out for you if you got psychopathic. Do you think Cohen owning the ball is crazier or less crazier than the headline that Tommy Pham is suing uh, Midway District Strip Club for what he is calling uh, catastrophic injuries after he was stabbed outside of being a strip club when a fight broke? <coughs> I mean. The Tommy Pham headline is just pretty funny. The Cohen story just proves how much of a rich Met fan he really is. Look. I, I, I'm not, I wouldn't call myself an expert on strip clubs, but everything I've heard about strip clubs, they're not the place. Uh, they're not. A, they're not. They they're attract not the safest. seedy crowd. They're they, not the safest place, and they're not the most family friendly place unless you're going to get the brunch, or the wings, or the wings. Which again, the, the, don't go to strip clubs for the wings. It, it's not worth it. I mean, the right. So you're taking the Cohen ball, needless to say. <laughs> needless to say, I am, I am taking the Cohen ball. All right. I got two fun facts, both from Jim Passon on Twitter, that I'm going to end with. Uh, the first is which Josh Donaldson has played in 1,066 regular season games and has 1,066 base hits. He has also 39 postseason games and 39 career postseason base hits. Do you think Josh Donaldson needs to retire right now with those stats intact? I need a better breakdown. I need to see how many zero-hit, one-hit, and multi-hit games he's had. All right, need more information. I respect that. Um, and since 1961, there is no expansion team that has a record above 500. Uh, without looking at the notes, who would you say has the highest winning percentage at 499 and the lowest winning percentage of that group at 462? That doesn't uh, – since 61? Um, so think Midwest to the left for the most part. Yeah. I mean, I was te- So I'm just guessing high and low here. Yep. Um, are the Padres the lowest? I feel like they Padres lose- are the lowest at 462. Who's the highest? Hmm. Are we still talking about Midwest and to the left? Yep. It's a team we like and, uh, it's a team that all we could say is just imagine they would probably be above 500 if they ever went after fucking bitching. The Angels? The Angels, 499, very close. But they also have a World Series win, so. Something the Padres do not have. Something the Padres don't have. The Rangers who are on this list don't have. The Mariners don't have. The Rockies. Rockies, the Brewers. Rays. The Rays. The. That might be it. No, there's probably more, right? Not, I mean, Diamondbacks have one. Diamondbacks have one. Everyone in the AL Central has one. That might be it, honestly. I lost track, but... We'll, we'll say it's a good list, and if we think of any more, we'll, we'll talk about it next week. Uh, any concluding thoughts for this week's show, now that you got your previous one out of the way about Carson Wentz? I got my Carson Wentz as a, uh, is like a dog crap with arms out there. Uh, get your get vaccinated. It's it's getting cold. It's flu season. Um, make sure to get the vaccines that are proven safe uh, to keep yourself and your families healthy during what's shaping up to be a pretty long and uh, cold winter. My concluding thought is going to be: stay safe uh, if you're going to see your family. Be careful. And Daniel Jones, if you need a calf to stay healthy, I'm happy to donate mine. Calf, hamstring, you need it. I got it. We love you, Daniel Jones. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and on that note, we will be here same time. And look, honest, I'd rather have Daniel Jones with one hamstring than Carson Wentz. Uh, don't even get me started about Colt McCoy. He's, uh, you know, yeah, I'm not going to get you.
That's why we said don't even get us started. Uh, we'll be back same time, same place next week with Bryce Holden. My name is Chase Minorski, and this is the Underdog Sports Baseball Show. <laughs>